Mr. March came to see me after school. He wanted to tell me for the third time what a fine boy I had. He gushed about Chad, said he enjoyed having him in his class, and that the boy had a gift for statistics. But I don't have a son, never have had one that I can remember. Of course, I am embarrassed and confused by Mr. March's gushing praise. He must be confusing me with Barlow, which sounds a lot like Barstow, though Barlow is bearded and ten years younger than me. But at least Barlow does have a son at the school, though I don't think his name is Chad, and from what I've heard, he is a bad student cheats on Tess, gets kicked out of his classes for being an asshole, probably not gifted at statistics. So to avoid embarrassment, I say, yeah, Chad loves your class, he thinks you're funny, which is what every teacher wants to hear. Mr. March slaps my back, laughs as if I had said something absurd, and walks off. The next day, I'm sitting at my desk in my classroom grading essays. It's about five o'clock in the afternoon. The school is quiet. My neighbor, Mr. White, wanders in. He looks bored. I guess he's looking for a distraction from his work. I don't look up, he says. I saw Chad last night at the basketball game. Oh yeah? I stare hard at my essays. He was hanging out with that Michelle Felt. I think he might be sweet on her. I nod, but my mind reels. Michelle Felt is my student's second period. I've seen her eating lunch on the grass with a boy, but I can't picture the boy's face. I say simply, Chad doesn't tell me anything about girls. Mr. White laughs as if that is what he expected me to say. I know, right, he says. It must be hard for the kid when his dad is a teacher at his school. The other kids probably shy away from him. I really wouldn't know, I said, still not looking up, wishing he would leave. Well, I sent my kid to Valley Vista. I don't want him around hearing all the weird stuff kids say about me, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I said. There was a long silence. I continued to scribble. I don't understand what you are saying over and over again on the student paper. Mr. White got the message and left. The moment he leaves, I pull out last year's yearbook. According to reports, Chad Barstow would have been a freshman. I find his name, but no picture exists. It says, picture not available. I turn the pages of the yearbook, looking for a candid shot. But Chad Barstow is nowhere in the yearbook. 
I look at my own picture in the staff section. I had forgotten to clean my glasses that day, and the photographer hadn't noticed, and so my eyes looked foggy. I wasn't smiling, though I thought I was when she took the picture. She kept saying, smile, so I did, but the evidence was clear enough. That's okay. Teachers who smile too much invite trouble from students. Students think you're a chump and they will try to take advantage of you. Much better to cultivate a sour demeanor. I went home and sat on the living room couch. I turned on an NBA game, but kept the sound down. I don't have a favorite team, but the movement across the screen kept me company. I've been divorced for nine years, and the house is way too big for me. Rita and I never agreed on anything. She was a Republican and a Catholic, and I was a lefty Jew, so no surprises, I guess, when it didn't work out. She wanted a big family and a big house, the way she grew up. I preferred that she had a career. I taught children all day long. I thought having them was overrated. Now she lives with an architect in West Oakland with their four sons. I get a card each Christmas. They look very happy in the picture. I turned off the game and fell asleep on the couch. I fall asleep on the couch most nights now. Something woke me in the middle of the night. I opened my eyes. Was there a party next door? I heard people laughing, clinking beer bottles. I listened without moving. It sounded like teenagers, and it seemed to me to be coming from the back bedroom. The back bedroom had been Rita's office when we were married. When we bought the house, she observed that it would make a great nursery someday. But after she left me, I converted it back to storage. Now the room was stacked with bank boxes of old tax returns, old photographs, objects from our previous life that I couldn't discard. I definitely had heard somebody laughing in the back room, but still, laying on the couch, I didn't feel so sure. I sat up, blinked the sleep from my eyes, stood feeling wobbly, then walked slowly down the hall. Perhaps I'd been dreaming the sounds. I put my hand on the doorknob and turned. The door was locked from the inside. I put my ear to the door. Somebody was giggling. A boy's voice said, Shh, he'll hear us. I knocked. Is somebody in there? Silence. I felt the old anger rise inside of me. 
It was stronger than any anger that I had ever felt about anything, as if it had been building inside of me for many years. I thought about breaking down the door or breaking through it with a hatchet. Then weirdly, the telephone in the kitchen rang out. I keep a landline out of habit. I glanced at the clock over the oven. 2.32 a.m. It must be an emergency, I thought. I picked up the phone and listened. Is Chad there? came the voice. It was a young girl, a teenager. She sounded drunk or sleepy. I didn't say anything. I focused on my own breath and the anger grew inside of me like some kind of alien weed. Excuse me, is this Chad Barstow's house? No, I said. Is this 8172615? Yes, I said. There was a long pause. My breath was slow and even now. Is this Mr. Barstow? This is Michelle Felt, you know, from your English class. I'm sorry to be calling so late. I'm trying to get hold of your son. I hung up on her. I stared at the phone. Why was everyone pretending that I had a son named Chad? Maybe Rita was playing a trick, but Rita was not evil like that. She had just made that one terrible mistake with the architect. I walked back down the hall. I put my hand on the knob again, but this time the door was unlocked and it fell open. The moon shined through the dormer window and I saw the shadowy outline of Rita's old desk. Dark rows of bank boxes, overstuffed bookcases. I flipped on the overhead light and sat at her desk. There was still the framed portrait of Rita and I holding hands on that cliff in Acapulco during our honeymoon. She was pushing her cheek against my cheek and squinting coyly into the lens. We were in love, at least in that moment. That was the day that Rita jumped off the cliff without me because I didn't want to leave the camera equipment alone on the rocks. They can steal the camera, but nobody can steal the memory of us jumping together, she said. But I had been more afraid of losing the camera. The ironic thing was that I did still have the picture of that moment. But Rita was gone. Inside the desk drawer, I found another unframed photograph. It showed an empty white crib at the center of the room with an animal mobile dangling above it. I had no memory of the crib or the mobile and briefly thought that this was a picture of Rita's life with the architect. But then I looked up at the ceiling 
And yes, there was an old nail from which the mobile had been strung. What have you done with the baby? His baby. The voices flickered through me like a lost memory. A moment later, they were gone. I woke up that morning on the floor of Rita's old office, clutching that photograph of the empty crib. The next day, during second period, Josh Ruby asked me if I would send Chad to the newspaper class during fifth period. They were doing a story on kids who went to school with their parents. Stephen Barlow and Melissa Gatewood will also be in it, he said. I don't know if I'm going to see Chad today, I said. Doesn't he come in and eat lunch with you? No, I said. Hmm, he said. I thought he did. I always see him coming out of your class after lunch. I didn't say anything. When the lunch bell rang, I didn't move. I watched the class leave. Then I stared at the door and waited for it to open. I left my peanut butter sandwich wrapped. I didn't move. When the door opened, the first thing I felt was that searing anger. But it was only the principal who had come to see me. I just wanted to give you a heads up that we are recognizing your boy as student of the month at the staff meeting after school today, he said. David March nominated him. Thought you'd want to know. Will Chad be at the staff meeting? I asked. The name sending chills through me. I had never said the name aloud. Of course, he said. A lot of people want to talk about him. I see, I said. He squinted at me as if I had said something peculiar, but then he smiled tightly, backed away, and left. After school, I got the Glock out of the trunk of my car. I had used it only that one time before. I went to the staff meeting and sat in the back The principal said the first order of business was to honor the student of the month. Mr. March stood up. He said, Chad Barstow is a great kid, helpful, smart, ambitious, everything his dad is not. Everybody laughed. I smiled and looked for the boy, my boy but nobody else was standing. I got the message late, Mr. March continued, holding up a paper certificate, that Chad had a prior commitment this afternoon, but decided to go through with this honor because, well, if I was Chad's dad, I would appreciate it. He looked at me and smiled. I put my hand in my pocket and felt the gun. I put my finger on the trigger. 
Then I strode up to the front of the room with my one hand still in my pocket. With my other hand, I took the certificate from March. Thank you, David. And thank you, too, to all of you who have been so kind to Chad. Every part of me wanted to pull out that gun and begin shooting. I scanned the room, choosing targets. Then the back door opened, and Chad walked in. He was a beautiful, beautiful boy. An oval, innocent face, clear brown eyes, a playful smile, narrow, boyish shoulders. He was holding Michelle Felt's hand. She was pressing against him, her cheek on his shoulder. The staff began to applaud. Then they stood and applauded. I took out the gun, put the muzzle above my right ear, and fired. up in a hospital bed that night. Apparently, I had flinched and the bullet only grazed my scalp. Rita was sitting in a chair beside me, holding my hand. I said, I'm sorry, Rita. I was so angry. I lost control. Rita watched me with detached and forgiving eyes, like an angel of forgiveness. She leaned over and kissed my forehead. Then she pulled me up to a sitting position. She tugged again and I was standing beside her, though I could not feel my feet on the floor. She led me toward the window that was infused with a white light. We hovered over the sill together. She gestured to the baby wrapped in her left arm. And for the first time in many years, I smiled. Then with her free hand, she clasped her fingers around mine and squeezed holding hands together. We jumped.